And a warm welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Show. How are you this Thursday? It's cold, but it's been pretty pleasant in the northwest, at least in Salford today. It's been bright and clear. Lovely afternoon. It's uh, always good to be with you. You can reach me during the programme through my website, richieallen.co.uk. Leave a message, comment live. You know how it works. I don't need to tell you again, do I? It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, a little bit later on in the programme, the founder of the Brexit party, Catherine Blakelock, will be on the programme again. She is a very successful hotelier, businesswoman, and is throwing her hat into the political circus ring Again, and we'll talk about that just after the top of the air. Catherine Blakelock will be on with me to talk all manner of things. Lockdown, Brexit and, well, anything you care for us to chat about. As I said, drop me a message through the website richieallen.co.uk. It is, um, it's an inter- it's been an interesting day for, for me. I, 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 I suppose I could bore you with it, but, but I won't. I could do, but I won't. It's been an interesting old day. Um, Where am I going to start today? I suppose where we could start is with this bombshell, which you might have been listening to, you might have come across this afternoon. A bombshell about Chinese infiltration of, of Westminster and MPs' offices. This is Sky News. Good afternoon. MI5 has today warned that a Chinese government agent and Labour donor has been targeting MPs. The alleged spy has been named as Christine Lee. Now, she's given money to the office of MP Barry Gardner and her son was working for him until he resigned earlier today. Mr Gardner says he is fully cooperating with the security services. Right, so MI5 has warned MPs that a Chinese agent has managed to infiltrate Parliament. And the reason for the infiltration is apparently to interfere in UK politics. Not to steal state secrets now, but to interfere, to meddle, to interfere kind of a thing. So the BBC says that an alert from MI5 said that Christine Chinkui Lee established links for the Chinese Communist Party with current MPs and with people who want to be MPs. Apparently she gave donations to politicians with funding coming from foreign nationals in China and in Hong Kong. Now, Barry Gardner, Labour, I'm trying to remember which shadow post Barry Gardner held when he was working for Jeremy Corbyn, when Corbyn led the Labour Party. Was he the shadow international development secretary? No. Was he the shadow employment? I don't know, but he he had a shadow position anyway. Well, he's received nearly half a million quid from Christine Chinquili in the last five years, and her son has worked for Gardner, but he resigned today. Now, the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, not herself, not unfamiliar with treason. (laughs) Don't start that, Baldy. Okay, I won't. I've I've done that one to death. You remember when she went off to Israel on her holiday, didn't tell the government, didn't tell Theresa May, 
and met with Israeli officials, remember? Anyway, Pretty Patel said it was deeply concerning that someone who has knowingly engaged in political interference activities on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party has targeted parliamentarians. But she said the UK has got measures in place to identify foreign interference. Those measures can't be very good, though. Israel. There's a big, massive elephant in the room there. Pretty Patel, well, we, we've, we've got measures in place to, 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 to root out foreign interference. Do you, Pretty? Israel, anyway. So MI5 said that anyone contacted by Ms. Lee should be mindful of her affiliation with the Chinese Communist Party. That goes for you too, dear listener. If you happen to be in a Chinese takeaway tonight and you see Christine Ching King Lee, or whatever her bloody name is, step away. Step away from the communist from China. Step away. She might be influencing you somehow. Now, shortly after this bombshell, Sarah Jane Mee of Sky News interviewed Ian Duncan Smith, the former leader of the Conservative Party. Now, the Chinese don't like Ian Duncan Smith very much. That's something we have in common with our Chinese brothers and sisters. They don't like him because, well, he's a bit of an arse, number one. And number two, they believe he has been meddling in the affairs of Hong Kong for some years. In fact, the Chinese have imposed sanctions on Ian Duncan Smith and some of his friends for meddling. So have a listen to Sarah Jane Mee interviewing Ian Duncan Smith then today. The first you heard about this was the email that went out from the Speaker of the House to um, MPs and it came from the interference alert issued by MI5 that said Ms Lee had been engaged in political interference activities on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party, engaging with members here at Parliament and associated political entities. For those watching who may not be familiar uh, with um, China's tactics and what kind of information they'd be trying to get from the British government. What are the vulnerabilities here for the British government? What kind of information would China be trying to get? What kind of information would they be trying to get? Maybe the lottery numbers, maybe. I don't know, maybe. Maybe some tickets to see Harry Styles, maybe, at the O2 Arena. What are the Chinese after? Well, here's one, for example. I'm a privy councillor. Many of the public may not understand what that is, but it does mean occasionally I will get briefings from the government on, with security information, information about government activity, which is not in the public domain. As a privy councillor, that's called privy council briefings. So uh, there are many people in Parliament in that situation. So that immediately makes Parliament a very good target because that sort of information does come into Parliament earlier than it goes into the public domain. There are other areas too. Lots of work that parliamentarians are doing, like I mentioned, to do with helping people in uh, foreign climes. It's also, it seems to me, that the purpose was to persuade, subvert parliamentarians. I mean, you were talking earlier on in your programme about the amounts of money that have been transferred into Parliament from this organisation. And as MI5 have made clear, and Parliament has made clear now, through very dodgy setups uh, uh, to mask where their money was coming from, this is all part of the subversion process. So the Chinese government, and by the way, we need to remind ourselves, this is a, a, an awful government. You know, it's arresting people in Hong Kong for nothing more than peaceful protest for democracy. It's guilty, we believe,
and uh, Sir Geoffrey Nice's tribunal has come out and said they're guilty of genocide of the of the Uyghur people in Xinjiang, you know, forced sterilizations, uh, re-education camps for children, slave labor, uh, all of these things uh, in Tibet as well, and uh, Christians and all the others, and threatening Taiwan. This is a very dangerous regime, and if they're now infiltrating parliament and government, it could easily be through parliament. Yeah. They saw very bad, we saw very good, says Ian Duncan Smith about the Chinese. Like the UK government, like MI5, well, more like MI6, I should say, and GCHQ, like they don't have people undermining or attempting to undermine the Chinese government, like they've not been trying to undermine Bashar al-Assad's government in Syria for years and years, like they didn't overthrow Colonel Gaddafi, and lie through their teeth like they're not sending billions of pounds worth of ammunition to Saudi Arabia to use on Yemen. The hypocrisy here is laughable. They're all at it, spying one way or another on one another. It's amazing. It's only been two and a half to three. No, no, no. It's only been about four hours since this story broke. But let me tell you, dear listener, it's already gotten more broadcast coverage than the news back in 2017 that a guy working at the Israeli embassy, remember him, Shai, Shay or Shai Masot or Masot, remember, he was filmed bragging about how he was influencing Labour Party policy on behalf of the Israeli government, infiltrating, infiltrating politics in this country. Nobody in broadcast media wanted to touch that. I think it was only The Guardian that actually wrote about it. But the BBC and Sky News didn't want to touch it. No, we, we don't talk about Israel interference in UK politics. My God, the hypocrisy is hilarious. The state of Israel has only thoroughly infiltrated UK politics, UK media, UK finance. I could be here all day long. The state of Israel is the world champion. And I don't blame Israel for that. That's not, by the way, the cover note at the end. For anybody who doesn't know me well enough, I've been bashing Israel forever and a day. Hilarious, this story about China. She's been given money. And maybe she was speaking to some MPs who are on the Privy Council. And maybe she's taking that information back to the Chinese. Who gives a shit? I certainly don't anyway, dear listener. It's richieallen.co.uk for comments. Comment live on the menu bar. Shall we talk about Heinz Bean for a head? The man known as Sajid Javid, the banker who couldn't lance a boil if he was asked to do so, and yet he holds the office of the Health Secretary of this United Kingdom. Disunited. That's what they should call it. Disunited Kingdom. Javid said this lunchtime, and I happened to be listening at the time, that people who refuse a COVID jab, that's you and me, well, we're standing on the shoulders of those who accepted their COVID jabs. Yes, not only that, we, that's you and me, we owe our freedom to those who went and did their duty for their country and for their fellow man. That's what we owe. We owe our freedom to those who rolled up their sleeves and played Russian roulette with their health. 
Here he is, Sajid Javid, Sajid Javid, speaking in Westminster. So we must remain vigilant and keep fortifying the pharmaceutical defences that we've built. Keep fortifying the pharmaceutical defences that we've built. There's more medicine to come. Some of the strongest in the world. And today I'd like to update the House on how we're making these pharmaceutical defences even stronger and how we're giving the NHS and this country what it needs to withstand this Omicron wave. <laughs> Our primary defence is, of course, the vaccination programme. 79% of eligible adults have now had a booster, including 91%, over 91% of over 50s, who we know are more vulnerable to the virus. Per capita, we're the most boosted large country in the world. We're boosted. We're boosted. We're the most boosted country in the world. Take that, Taiwan. Take that, Suriname. They've probably had no jabs, have they? The poor Surinamese. Take that, Vietnam. We're boosted. So they reckon 91% of adults have had some jabs. Remember way back in the day when Matt Hancock, remember that dickhead, remember him? when he said 15 million jobs to freedom. I've been looking historically at vaccine programmes. Historically now. And most of the time, when vaccines are rolled out over the years historically, they really only want about 70 to 75% of people to have the jab in order to get what they call herd immunity. Now, according to this government, nearly everyone in this country has had a jab. They're lying, I know that. But they're saying that 91% of all adults. So why are they pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing? Why don't they just say, well, that was a great result? I think you know the answer. What else did Sajid Javid say? Data from the UK HSA, which was published on Friday, shows that around three months after those aged 65 and over received their booster... They die? Their protection against hospitalisation remains at around 90%. How the... Feck could they possibly say that? Three months after this age group, the over 65s, have had their booster, they remain 90% less likely to go to hospital. How could they just making it up on the hoof, aren't they? These vaccines don't just protect ourselves. They certainly don't protect us. By your own admission, you can have them and you can still get the bloody COVID. Our loved ones, but they protect the country's progress too. Ah, right. They protect the country's progress. He's getting to the nub of it. The reason why we've been able to start the year with much greater freedom than last year, with children back at school, with shops opening their doors, this chamber bustling with activity, is because that so many people have made the positive choice to get vaccinated. We have more freedoms this year than we had last year because of the good people who went and had a jab. Now, there are, of course, a small minority of people who could get the jab, they could get it if they wanted to, but they have chosen not to. I think he's talking about you and me. Let's see. And let us be clear. The reasons that those people have also been able to enjoy the freedoms that they have today is because they are standing on the shoulders of those who have come forward. <laughs> the nine out of ten people across the UK who have stepped forward to get the jab. Do you feel a bit guilty, dear listener, now listening to Sajid Javid there, the honourable, the right honourable Sajid Javid? Do you think, do you, say, do you say to yourself, yeah, it's not right, that is it, that we have a few freedoms and it's because 
well, better people than me did their did their duty, their civic duty, and rolled up their sleeves. And I really shouldn't be standing on their shoulders. Are you rushing to the jabatoirs, are you, dear listener? And let us be clear. Let us not be clear. So he finished with... If we are to maintain this collective protection that we have built, we need everyone to choose responsibly and to take the simple step that we will secure that will help secure greater freedom for us all. Ah, yeah, there you are. If you want to keep your freedom and get more of it, refuse nicks, you need to do the decent thing, the simple thing, and go and, as I said, play Russian roulette with your health and take a medicine that you don't need. Isn't he a scumbag? I know, I know, I know, I know. If you're brand new to this programme, you might be shocked to hear that. You might think language unbecoming. Um, no, I, 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 I like to say what I think, you know. Disgusting. What an odious little thug he is, isn't he? Imagine that. I hold the power to curtail your freedoms. And those freedoms are dependent on whether you take my medicine. The worst part about this was that Javid was giving a, was giving a statement to Parliament. And because he was giving a statement to Parliament, what happens next is his shadow on the opposition bench that would be Wes Streeting, the Shadow Health Secretary. He gets to respond to it. Did he stand up and roar at him? Did he thunder away at Sajid Javid, Wes Streeting, who claims to be a socialist and a trade unionist? Did he roar at him and say, who the F do you think you are, you little toe rag? You've I crap bigger than you, Javid? And you're threatening people in this country? Of course he didn't, because Wes Treating is just a puppet as well. And the Labour Party, since day one, has rolled over like that lovely little mongrel that you meet in the park every morning. And you tickle its belly, and it, and, and it grunts contentedly. That's what Labour were in the last two years. You want to lock down the country? Yeah, we'll, we'll vote it through. We won't, we won't even have a vote. We'll just give you the assent here. Wouldn't mind five minutes alone with Sajid Javid. And I am a man who's committed to non-violence. I'm committed to peaceful means of resolving conflicts. I'd love five minutes in a room with Sajid Javid. Just five. Maybe five seconds would be enough. 18 minutes past the hour. I'm going to read some of your comments in a moment. And then we're going to hear a little bit from Kay Burley, our Kay. Ah, sure we love Kay. I love Kay. This is Ian Drury and the Blockheads on the Richie Allen Show. 18 and a half minutes past five. Hit me. Ian Drury, the Blockheads, hit me with your rhythm stick on the Richie Allen Show. Live from Salford, the 13th of January 2022. It's the last live Richie Allen Show of the week. Good week back as well. I've enjoyed it so far. Plenty time, uh, plenty of time left in this program. If you're into your music and you are in a position to listen to Sunday morning melodies, give it a give it a give it a chance. Have a go at it. It's live every Sunday morning between ten and midday. That's UK time with me. It's uh, apolitical. It kind of is. Most of it is. It's uh, a few tunes and a few stories. Bit of company. Bit of old school radio. That is Sundays. Sue is listening. Richie, I work in a in a Ford dealership. God, hang on. <clears throat> I'm still smothering. I work at a Ford dealership, she says. We have about 33 employees. There's a number, Sue. She says over half are out with the fake flu, and I'm the only one 
not wearing a mask, says Sue. Get in there, Sue. She says, funny how the contact tracing bullshit of quarantine flew out the window when you don't have enough people left to keep your business open, she says. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Hi to John Heffernan. How you doing, John? John, you mentioned a social media platform. It's funny you mention it. Hayden Hewitt, my pal Hayden, mentioned one similar. I think he mentioned that one. G-E-T-T or Getter. Um, I don't have a lot of time, to be honest, for social media. I spend so much time on the programme. So, yeah, I could do, but I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be inputting information to it, you know. That's the problem. When you're a one-man band, as I am, you you don't um, have time really for, for that sort of thing. So I say down with that sort of thing, if you understand, if you catch my drift. Just don't have the time for the blooming uh, social media. Don't have a lot of time for the old racism, Father. The farm keeps me busy most of the day. And in the evening, I just like a cup of tea. <laughs> Ask Mrs Carberry. Right, so Cookie says, Richie, have you seen the information about the unions being behind the mandates and the masks? Of course I have, Cookie. That's no, that's not news. Of course it's the unions driving the mandates and the masks. The unions haven't represented employees, their members, properly for decades. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Chris Bort, hit me with your rhythm stick the day it came out. Jesus, Chris. 1978. Yeah, that's the one. Claire says, out of my team of seven, one of us is unjagged. Guess which one, she says. That's you. That's you, Claire. Three are experiencing long-term problems. One has been off since the second dose. All of them younger than I. By many years, I am the healthiest in the office, says Claire. Get in there, Claire. Craig says, standing on the shoulders of, as Sajid Javid said, much like the politicians and many so-called journalists do every single day, grinding us down, all grinding us all down, regardless of our vaccination status. Why, oh why do more people not realise this, laments Craig. Craig, if somebody has the answer for that, it would be game over. Fabrizio says they want to lean on all of our necks. Alan says, five seconds, yeah, I would, I would. No, I wouldn't. Given the opportunity to spend a few minutes in a room with Sashid Javid, because of my commitment to non-violence, I wouldn't hit him. You'd feel so cowardly, wouldn't you? Especially when you're a big old lump like I am. Nicholas says, Richie, I work for Marks and Spencers and they are refusing pay for the unjabbed who have to self-isolate. Nicola, was that in the news? It, it might have been. I didn't see it, even though I do consume quite a bit of news. Or fake news, I should say. Work for, NH, for M and S, refusing to pay the unjabbed when they have to self-isolate. They have been very duplicitous and have not advertised this fact to us previously. That answers my question, Nicola. I should have read your comment before opening my big gob. How could you do that? How could you read a comment without opening your gob? But yes, yeah, so it's not in the press. Very interesting. I don't know what the B-side of Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick is, because I never had the single. Good Kesht. Ma on Kesht there, Rishtard. Uh, hi to Martin, who says, I will fight to the death not to be jabbed. Where are Michael Ryan's arms stashed? That's Michael Ryan, the Irishman of the World Health Organization. Patrick says, we don't feel guilty for not being jabbed. On the contrary, we feel pity for those that have been subjected to mass psychosis and have drunk the Kool-Aid, he says. 
CB Lifeform says, Jivy Javi, that would be Sajid Javid, can suck a fart out of my arse. I will not be vaccinated. Enough of their ridiculous bedwetting bullshittery. That is the comment of the day. Man of the match there, CB Lifeform. Or woman of the match, because I don't know whether you're a man or a woman. I'm going to tell you another story. I better do it now, hadn't I? Listen to this. Dr. Foo Me Quick. Real name. Dr. Foo Me Quick is a GP who's about to retire. I saw her on Sky News with Kay Burley this morning and I thought she was a fetching young oriental filly. A fetching young oriental filly. Marvellous. I thought she was a bit on the young side to be retiring now, was Dr. Fu Mi Quick, and I'm going to say her name at least 25 more times. Because it's a real shame that Dr. Fu Mi Quick's mother didn't put a K on the end of her first name. We'd be laughing forever and she'd be inundated with offers to appear on the radio. Mostly by me, Dr. Fu me quick, fuck me quick, fuck me quick. She won't have a job. This doctor won't have a job. And she's written to Boris Johnson asking him to cancel the forthcoming job mandate for front-facing or front-line NHS workers. So Kay Burley had her on the programme today, didn't you, Kay? Fabulous. So good. <laughs> Absolutely burning this Kay. Here is Kay with Dr. Fu May Quick. Now, she really pissed Kay off because Kay wanted her on the programme to tell her why she wouldn't be jabbed. But Foo kept talking about how the mandate would destroy what's left of the NHS. This annoyed Kay. But Kay kept her cool and eventually tied her down and got her talking about why she wouldn't have the jab. Here she is, Dr. Foo. May quick, I promise. That's the last time I'll say her name. Doctor, we're here to talk about why you don't want to have a vaccine. And I've, I've put to you that our regular GP says you're being irresponsible by not having a vaccine. I, I'd like you to reply to that, please, if you would. There are many irresponsible behaviours that we don't criticise other people for. So, for example, the vascular surgery ward is full of people maybe who smoke. And we don't go about saying, oh, you're so irresponsible for smoking or you're on the liver transplant ward and you have drunk alcohol. We don't not treat people because of the decisions that they have made. The issue is that the, the COVID crisis is petering out. I mean, we had good news yesterday that um, the cases are going down and it looks like, you know, coming towards March, you know, Michael Gove said that we should live learn to live with COVID. And Boris Johnson also said that he was going to roll out a programme for, um, for how we're going to do that. But in the meantime, this mandate has occurred. And on the 2nd of, no, the 3rd of February is the deadline. And that's coming up really soon. And I'm really worried that we're going to be so caught up with the party and uh, leadership you know, um, challenge and all this, that we're going to forget that come 2nd, 3rd of February, that's the deadline for now, um, NHS workers to be jabbed. And then we're going to have face a crisis because I understand that chiefs are very worried, but doctors and nurses, they can't, people aren't speaking out, they're not being heard. It's important that Boris understands that he could be making an even worse mistake 
right? The parties okay. in the if, past, if a, we have to a, look and at... Let me just put this to you, Doctor. We're sl almost out of time. If an 85-year-old patient of yours came to see you and mm. as a result of you not having been vaccinated, they contracted COVID from you uh, with whatever effects that might have, how would that make you feel? How would that make you feel if an 85-year-old woman rocked up to your surgery and you gave her the dirty COVID? Foo! They wouldn't necessarily have got it from me. Yes. I wouldn't necessarily be carrying COVID. You don't know what my antibodies are like. Yes, K yes Foo. You don't know that but I'm you're not less likely to carry COVID. It but gives you some immunity if you have your vaccinations and your booster, unless yes. you're flying in the face of everything else that we've been told. No, are you right I'm... and all the other doctors are wrong? Are you right and all the other doctors are wrong, foo? This is the vaudevillian aspect of everything we've been observing in the last two years. Cretins like Burley challenging doctors on scientific issues, as if Burley knows better. No, you are likely to be more, you are likely to be safer if you have the boosters and vaccinations. That's not the issue. The issue is that even if you do, you could still transmit the virus. And but if that less lady were contracted it, not necessarily So you reduce the odds? You reduce the odds? You can reduce the odds. But the point is, is that people... I'm worried that people are going to lose their jobs and the NHS is going to really suffer. But if you're running out of time... Just... of people not being vaccinated? Sorry? Sorry? What about if patients die as a result? Of and NHS staff patients, not being vaccinated. What if patients die because 10% of the NHS workforce, 100,000 people, have not yet been vaccinated, approximately? So if that happens, what happens when the nurses, the midwives, there are, there's a whole unit of midwives who have not yet been vaccinated. Suppose that maternity unit um, closes, and that's what the chief is saying. That, that trust is um, is saying that they might have to close that unit. So how about all the people, yeah. the, the women in labour who have to travel 40 minutes extra because they can't get the people Very good, very good. Obviously, if 100,000 people lose their jobs, this is going to collapse what's left of the NHS and it's going to lead to the deaths of God knows how many people. The point that the doctor is making to Burley. Burley then brings up, you probably caught just a little snippet of it there, she brings up the Labour MP, Kate Green. Now, we talked about this last year. Kate Green was on with Burley. Burley brings up Kate Green. But who have to travel 40 minutes extra because they can't... Kate Green, who I spoke to, let me just put this to you, if I may. Kate Green, who I spoke to, a senior Labour Party MP. Green, Green used to be the Shadow Education Secretary. Um, somebody that was looking after her mother in a nursing home. She was not vaccinated. Her mother contracted COVID and died as a direct result. Last uh, year, Kate Green told Burley this very tall tale on Sky News. She said, my mum was contracted COVID in her care home because of contact with an unvaccinated member of staff. Now, there's no way in hell that Kate Green could know that for a fact. There isn't. But at the time, it went unchallenged by Burley because Burley is as useless as tits on a boar, right? So she's bringing it up again now. Kate Green's mother died because uh, she was cared for by a smelly, unjabbed person. How can that be acceptable? It's not acceptable. That's, it's terrible. It's terrible that that lady died. Can't believe the doctor didn't challenge that. Um, and now, I mean, most people, well, practically everyone in care homes has been vaccinated. But we know that even if you're vaccinated... You but can you're less likely it. to. Yeah. You are less likely okay. to, but you but you can. It's possible. Therefore, if we even okay. if 100 percent of the NHS workers 
are vaccinated, it's not still 100% effective. So what I'm trying to say is that the government must change their mind and do a U-turn on this mandatory vaccine before it's too late. To. The party was, the party was in the to. past. They're not going well, the party to. was in the past and they've made decisions. But this yeah. decision would be a really bad one. OK. Doctor, it's good to talk to you. Thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Quick look at the weather for you. Quick look at the weather then. You hear Barley behaving like a child. They're not going to. They're not going to. They're not going to. I wonder about that. I hope those in NHS patient-facing positions who have decided not to have it, like Damien and Damien's partner, you might have heard last night's programme. If you didn't, grab it from podomatic.com. Damien came on, worked in an ICU unit for many, many years, shared his experiences with us last night. He was very eloquent. And it's disaster for him and for his partner financially if they have to leave their jobs because they won't have a job. But it's also going to be disaster for the government. And I hope they stand firm, those who have refused it, and sit back and just wait a bit, see what happens when things really collapse. That's all I would say about that. It's 20, what is it, 24 minutes it is, to the top of the hour. It's the Richie Allen Show. This is your show. It's live. It's always live from Salford here in the northwest of the UK. As I just mentioned there, the programme is archived on Podomatic.com. That's Podomatic.com. Check it out. It's interesting. If you missed any of the previous programmes uh, this week or last week or last year, check them out on Podomatic.com. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. So Fab came back on to say, aren't the unvaxxed more at risk? Can't have it both ways, he says, regarding Burley's conversation there. Good point. David Keane, how you doing, David? The 85-year-old woman would have been jabbed up to feck, he says. So what's the problem? Burley asked the doctor, if an 85-year-old woman came to see you and you gave her COVID because you weren't unjabbed, how would you feel? It's a good point by David. The 85-year-old woman would probably have had three, maybe four jabs by now. Indeed. <laughs> it's just mad, isn't it? Isn't it all a bit mad? Here's um, another story. Let's keep the stories going. Kate Williams is a political commentator and historian. Now, I must give Tracy McCallum a shout-out. Tracy is the Glaswegian nurse. I hope she continues in nursing. Former NHS nurse. Uh, was on the programme several times. Uh, lost her unfair dismissal uh, came. Lost her... Um, Jesus, Richie. Jesus. The tribunal, that's right, against the NHS. Tracy spoke out very early on about the lies around lockdowns and uh, and hospitals. She was on this programme. She was targeted by the media. A lovely woman. She sent me a clip from Radio Scotland. It was from Kay Adams' programme yesterday. Kate Williams is a political commentator and historian. She took part in a debate on Radio Scotland yesterday. The, the host, as I just said, was Kay Adams. Have a listen to this. Kate Williams dropping a couple of, well, uncomfortable truths on the Kay Adams show on BBC Radio Scotland. This is interesting stuff. My beef with this is it just highlights, whether we like it or not, and whether we want to believe it or not, the fact that this virus from the start, they knew, they knew that it wasn't dangerous to most people. 
dangerous to some, of course, but they locked the country down on the basis that it was dangerous and fatally adverse for some, a tiny proportion. Kate, you're, so, you're blowing my mind here. What, what are you expecting voters to hear when you say this? That their elective representatives are a bunch of liars who knowingly <laughs> deceived them. I, are I you serious? Be, I would be surprised if, I, I would be shocked if, if we didn't have liars. I mean, this is human nature. People mislead. Look, what, what, what I've seen Chris Whitty, Neil Ferguson, all the other motley crew of SAGE stand up and completely misrepresent statistics and data. But I've got, I've got, hang Kate, on. One these are, these I, are I, grave got... allegations. I just have to point out, these are grave allegations. <laughs> so they're, 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 these are grave allegations! They're true allegations. I mean, you might not, you know, the, the electorate might not want to hear them, but I've got pages and pages of other statisticians ripping statistics apart and how data has been misrepresented from our CMO. Now, that is what we should be getting upset about. We should also be getting upset about the millions of missed cancer screenings, people being turned away from GPs and filling hospitals and putting pressure on the NHS because doctors don't want okay. to go back to All work. Right. Well, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to avoid that because we, we can absolutely come back to that. But let's just yeah. go back to the, the, the showdown at high noon Boris, that we Boris, are yeah. expecting today. <laughs> I can hear the producer in my mind's ear. In my mind's ear, I can hear the producer Get off that topic now. She's having a go at Chris Whitty and Van Tam and Valance and Neil Ferguson and all the lies they told about COVID. Get her off. Get back to talking about Johnson. But they kept her on. And she came back in a few minutes later. And she carried on, did Kate Williams, about why the parties in the Downing Street Garden maybe signify or signal that the whole thing is a load of old bollocks. Here's more from Kate Williams on BBC Radio Scotland. It's good that they were doing it in some ways because they clearly didn't believe this was dangerous enough to lock us all down. Lock down the vulnerable, shield the vulnerable. But healthy people with a 0.0014% of dying? Come on, we're now paying for that and we'll be paying for it for decades. Mm. I know people who were turned away, we all do, NHS, they're now dead. They were told they had COVID. They're now dead because their lung cancer wasn't taken seriously. Let's get annoyed about this. The destroyed lives we've got. The people that died without touching a hand of a relative. Yes, Boris is a bit of a prat, but let's look at what the outrage really is here. And that is that this is dangerous to a tiny amount of people. Well, well and of course, that is not, uh, very much not, that the consensus view of most of our politicians and most of our medical uh, fraternity. What do you mean it's not the consensus between politicians and the medical fraternity. Every single word of what Kate Williams said there is absolutely true. We don't know how many people have died of cardio uh, problems, heart problems. We don't know how many people died of brain problems, liver problems. We don't know how many people died of cancer, various cancers, because they were denied treatment. We don't know what it's done to the mental health of people, suicides. It's got nothing to do with consensus. It's a fact. But Kay Adams works for the BBC. She is a whore. How do they sleep at night? Knowing that their job and their only job is to act as a shield or a gatekeeper between the public and between the information that Kate Williams is spreading on the radio show. How do you feel? 
I know a lot of mainstream radio presenters listen to this programme. I know it. I know that because of the success of this programme. How do you sleep at night knowing that your only job is to prevent scientists, academics, doctors and nurses from coming on and telling the truth? That's your job. And when it so happens that one of them slips through the net like 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 Kate Williams, you do everything you can to discredit what she's saying and get her off the air. Are you proud of yourself, like? Will you tell your grandchildren that, will you? What did you do, Granny, on the radio? Oh, well, I, I lied through my fucking teeth and I, I said things that I knew were untrue about a mild respiratory infection not only that, but I try to discredit learned men and women, good men and women, who are trying to blow the whistle. Yes, uh, grandchild, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I wasn't great, really. Shocking, this, isn't it? You know, I would be a fool to deny that it's not there, and you've expressed it very, very volubly there, Kate, but it is not the mainstream view. Well, well unless and you've measured... It's the fucking truth, though. The mainstream view. I mean, I, I deal now with a lot of people who are coming forward, 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 and they're dissenting. And let me tell you, the storm is going to be upon this government, particularly when they try and mandate the vaccines, mm. because lots of people are standing there. They don't, in a true British style, they keep their head down, don't make a scene. But I can tell you now, there are rumblings that people okay. are coming out of the woodwork to stand up against this and say, look, enough is enough. Okay, you know, well, you listen, cannot it is an going. open phone in and we will take, call, we'll take calls on anything. 08085 get her off, get her off. 295-00. Please feel free to get in touch. There's a lot to unpack there, what Kate Williams is saying. There's a lot to unpack. But let's just come back to the central question for now and let me bring in, and, and I know he's short of time, political commentator Calvin uh, Robinson, and then we've got Ron in Aberdeenshire waiting to speak. Yeah, breathe a big sigh of relief. You got rid of Kate. Funnily enough, Calvin Robinson said that the first thing he said was, I agree with everything that Kate Williams just said there. Good man, Calvin. It's quarter to six then. Would you like another tune, would you? Why not? I'm taking you back to the late 1980s or the early 1990s. It's Jason Donovan. Jason Donovan. (laughs) Ah, go on. I close my Jason Donovan and Annie Dream will do from the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Jason and his amazing Technicolor Undercrackers Never went to the West End to watch any of those things over the years and I'm proud to say I never did I'd like to see a play there maybe in one of these theatres but not a musical never been the biggest fan of musicals but I did like that song 11 minutes to the top of the hour Let's talk about James O'Brien just for a minute just for actually about 30 seconds he's a radio presenter allegedly and he's absolutely obsessed with Boris Johnson is O'Brien vexed perplexed absolutely strung out and stressed that Johnson remains as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom you see O'Brien is a woke social democrat. O'Brien would like to see Starmer. Uh, or even, or even what's the guy's name in London? That awful idiot in London. The mayor of London. 
what's his name? Sadiq Khan. That's the sort of person O'Brien would like to see in 10 Downing Street. He's dreadful, O'Brien. And he's obsessed with Johnson. And he's been trying to psychoanalyse Johnson in recent days and get to the bottom of why Johnson is just such a horrible liar. Which he is. Johnson is a dreadful human being. He's wretched, right? Well, Brian figured out something today. He was very proud of himself. And he amazingly managed to compare Boris Johnson with a famous song by the artist Shaggy. It is like that Shaggy song. It is like being... Just in case you missed it. You don't often hear that on the radio. It is like that Shaggy song. It is like that Shaggy song. It is like being caught having sexual relations with your neighbour on the bathroom floor when your girlfriend walks in and claiming that it wasn't you. And it is so utterly blatant and so utterly barefaced that most of us wouldn't even contemplate trying to sell that sort of line. But Boris Johnson has spent his entire life doing this. Everyone agrees about that, from former headmasters to former wives to former employers to former colleagues to current colleagues to cabinet members. Everybody knows what he's like, which, of course, makes it all the more uh, tragic that they were prepared to turn a blind eye. Well, <laughs> it's just like that Shaggy song. It is like that Shaggy song. Right? <laughs> I love this. It is like that Shaggy song. And the Shaggy song, by the way, just in case you don't remember it. But she got me on the counter. Wasn't me. Saw me banging on the sofa. Wasn't me. I even had her in the shower. Wasn't me. But just imagine Boris Johnson singing that, and if you're clever enough, you can put your own lyrics to it. Boris Johnson. Yeah, it's eight minutes to six o'clock. Don't forget, Catherine Blakelock will be on the programme in the second hour. The founder of the Brexit party and the first leader of the party. She was succeeded by Nigel Farage. Is it Farage or Farage? Does it matter? Does anybody care? I don't know. But anywho. Okay, you're with the Richie Allen Show. Lots more to come between now and seven o'clock. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, the yes! picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously. Ensignfilms.co.uk the Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Right, Jonathan Van Tam has resigned as the as England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer. I don't know if you came across this today. By the way, when these things happen, you can gen- generally read about them on richieallen.co.uk. That is my website. Amazingly. And I do update it daily with articles and stuff. This week it's been a bit slower, but I've still done a dozen or more uh, this week. Van Tam is gone. Uh, There hasn't yet been an official reason assigned to his departure. But I, I have heard that the University of Nottingham, which is where this guy was based, uh, want him back because he was on loan as England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer. But others are suggesting, and when I say others, this is not mainstream media now, but you know the fringes of the mainstream on Twitter and elsewhere. They're suggesting that because Boris Johnson and Sajid Javid 
didn't choose to lock down the UK, or England anyway, around Christmas time. And that was something which Jonathan Van Tam was very much in favour of, this guy. But because he didn't get his way, and because he feels that government ministers are not following what the scientists tell them to do, is that maybe that explains his decision to resign. Now, the BBC reported that he said it had been the greatest privilege of his professional career to have served the people of the UK during this time. And that's a quote. This time. So he's leaving to take up a new role at the University of Nottingham. A new role. He's been there before, apparently. And uh, he said it was challenging the last two years, especially the COVID response. He said, we wish COVID had never happened, he said. Yeah, right. Do you really think that Jonathan Van Tam really, really believes or really wishes that COVID-19 had never happened? Pull the other one, Johnny. Pull the other one. Nobody would ever have heard of you. You wouldn't have been on television three times a week. You wouldn't have been on BBC Radio 300 times a year if it wasn't for the scamdemic. So pull the other one, you little pipsqueak. So they've been waxing lyrical about this guy today. It's so sickening to me to hear it. Whether it's BBC Radio 5 Live, whether it's Jeremy Vine, talking about how wonderful this guy is. And haven't we all, haven't we all found our own epidemiologist during the, it's almost like Oasis versus Blur. Are you Oasis, are you? No, I'm Blur, you thickin' idiot. Oasis are better than Blur. It's almost like that with the scientists. Who do you like? I like Jonathan Van Tam. Ah, you feckin' idiot. You feckin' idiot. That Irish girl with the long hair and the glasses, she's better than him. What's her name? Susan Hopkins. Are you Hopkins or Van Tam, are you? What are you? I'm Van Tam. That's more like it. This bullshit from the media, deifying these fucking idiots like Van Tam. A goon. This really pissed me off. I wrote about this today. It's on the website. That they're deifying this guy. And saying how charming he is. And how wonderful his analogies were. And how, won- how wonderful um, his football analogies were when he was explaining to the, to the stupid people like us just what was going on with the disease. There's no disease, of course. The only disease is the media. That's the disease. That's the virus. We've been saying that for two years, haven't we? An absolute goon is this prick. And you know, I was thinking today, they knighted this dipstick in in January. They gave him a knighthood. This guy, he looks like Penfold from Danger Mouse. They gave him a knighthood. This guy, who should be struck off the medical register and exiled from this country. And, And I ask these questions now and I ask them on the website today. This guy, you know, this is one of the guys who led the calls to jab children and pregnant women for a disease which doesn't exist and a virus which, if it does exist, is harmless to most people. And I asked the question today, do you think he gave informed consent to those who he jabbed? Because he has said, and he's been pictured, he has been pictured over the last 12 months or or so, working in a so-called vaccine centre. We call them jabatoires. And I asked the question on the website today. I asked the question now. Did he get legitimate informed consent 
from the people he jabbed, did he? Did he? Did he? Do you think he did? Did he explain to them as he was giving him the jab that the odds of them getting seriously ill were astronomical from, from COVID or whatever COVID was? Did he say that to them? Did he say to them, you know, before you take this jab, there's literally no chance you're going to die if you get this uh, virus. Do you know that? Did he say that to them? Did he tell them the jabs are in trial, did he? Still, phase three. Did he tell them that? Did he tell them that the manufacturers of the jabs have been fined billions and billions of dollars over the years for falsifying data, for fixing drug trials, for killing people and for bribing doctors? Do you think Jonathan Van Tam, the lovely, cuddly JVT, just as he was about to plunge that poisonous shit into people's arms, do you think he said, by the way, let me tell you, before I plunge the plunger and inject it into your arm, the company that made this is basically a sack of shit, do you know that? Oh, they're the worst of the worst, like, the things they've, they've done over the years to people and to countries. Did you know that just before I give you their injection? You didn't. That's informed consent, you see. Did Van Tam tell them that the same companies made pandemics. Only a few years ago, the end of the last decade, when they were telling lies about the H1N1 flu pandemic, lying about it. They gave people pandemics and quite a lot of people died and even more people got narcolepsy. Just before I give you the injection now, did you know that, did you? Do you still want it? You see, that's legitimate informed consent. Did he tell them that, listen, I'm giving you this job now, but, but wait till I tell you, wait till I tell you, this job won't stop you getting COVID. And you know what? It won't stop you passing it on to anybody. Do you still want it, do you? Would you like it, Jonathan Van Tam? And I wonder, does everybody know who Jonathan Van Tam's grandfather is? I'm not going to say it because I've said it too many times. If you want to find out who his granddad is, just look it up. Maybe the apple doesn't fall far from the other apple that fell from the tree. This guy's a monster. And they gave him medals and titles and on the radio today they're saying how lovely he is. JVT. He's lovely. And we should all love him because he's lovely. Jesus wept, huh? So the BBC today put together a little montage of some of his best moments. It's almost like the fucker hasn't resigned as England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer. It's almost like he's been booted out of the Big Brother house. So they put together uh, some of his best bits. Do you want to hear him? Listen to some of this crap that he spoke, stood behind lecterns in Downing Street in the last 18 months. Listen to this bullshit. Don't tear the pants out of it. It's a bit... What was that? What? Don't tear the pants out of it. Don't tear the pants out of it. It's a bit like being 3-0 up in a game and thinking, well, we can't possibly lose this now. I think the mum test is very important here. A bit like a football game where the strikers who score the wonder goals are the ones who make the headlines. Actually, the hard yards are done by the defenders and by the defensive midfielders tracking back, tracking back. The Tracking back. He was saying there, shall we guess the analogy? Can we guess what he really means? He was saying the strikers get all the headlines. 
he's referring to himself and Chris Whitty as the strikers because they have the sexy jobs of being on television, getting all the credit. But the real stars are the defenders, the fullbacks and the goalie. They don't get the credit, but God damn it, where would we be without them? And those must be the plebs in the NHS. Go on, JVT. Rules are clear and they have always been clear. The rules are clear and they have always been clear. Stay home. In my opinion, they are for the benefit of all. And in my opinion, they apply to all. This is a complex product with a very fragile cold chain. It's not a yoghurt that can be taken out of the fridge. I I know, I know. Me, 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 me. He was talking there about the first COVID jab, which had to be stored, wait for it, at minus 100 or minus 200 degrees or something like that. That's the one. Let's try another. My mum is um, 78. She'll be 79 shortly. And I've already said to her, Mum, make sure when you're called, you're ready. When you're called, you're ready. Right, we get that. The train has now slowed down safely. The train has slowed down safely. Now, what's this about? It has now stopped in the station. Stopped in the station, right. Train slowing down station. What do you think it is? And the doors have opened. The doors have opened. (laughs) What we need now is for people to get on that train. Yes, it must be about the vaccine. The train is the vaccine, that's it. And it's slowing down now. And the doors are open and we have to jump on. That's the vaccine, is, is it? It must be the vaccine. It's a bit like being 3-0 up in a game and thinking, well, we can't possibly lose this now. But how many times have you seen the other side take it 4-3? Not very many. Do not wreck this now. <laughs> it is too early to relax. If I could rightly and morally be at the very front of the queue then I would do so. Those destinations are all over the UK. This train is going to stop several times on the way. It's going to have to reach all parts of the UK. There will be trains that come behind it and that is all going to take time. All together now. They just should exile that bastard, you know. That wretched, rotten bastard. I know he was born here. Just exile him. Him and every other lawyer like him. Every other monster. Every other criminal like him. Who vouched for and and coerced people into taking a toxic tidal wave of pus and shit that they do not need. Exile him. Don't harm a hair on their heads. Just get him out of the country. Shocking, isn't it, to listen to that crap? The amount of times I sat through that during the last two years and it was so difficult to listen to it. You might think I spent time laughing at it. I didn't. I took it into the monologues on the programmes over the last two years and laughed at it. But I wasn't laughing at it when I was listening to it. I was thinking, why, oh why, oh why? And I know you've heard this too many times. You're going to groan. Why are the presenters and the journalists assembled at Downing Street, why are they allowing him to fuck them like that? Because that's what it is, excuse the crass language. If I'm sitting in the press corps and he's talking like that, I am thinking, you're trying to fuck me. I can't wait till I get a hold of a microphone in a minute when you're finished. And I'm going to end you, pal. When I get finished with you, 
on live television, you will never, ever appear at a press conference ever again. That's what was going through my mind. And of course, you had Laura Koonsberg and Robert Peston, didn't you? And all the rest of the goons from the UK mainstream media who sat there. And rather than eviscerate him, rather than decapitate him, and what I mean by that is, I don't mean that literally. Take the legs out from under him. They were, I see he's great indeed, huh? Jesus. I tell you what, isn't he lovely? Isn't he lovely? The way he describes things for us, isn't he? JVT. Of course, the worst of it is, I have no idea who they will announce as the new or incoming Deputy Chief Medical Officer. But it'll it'll be another goon like Van Tam. Another liar. Somebody else with ties to the Gates Foundation. Or universities, ties to universities that are tied up with the Gates Foundation. And the World Economic Forum and all the rest of it. Oh yeah, they're writing eulogies for this guy today and he's not dead. Wonderful. JVT. What a man. What a man. And I don't normally pick out, you know, isolated or single incidents from from countries, but I couldn't help but see a YouTube video overnight. Or did I come across it on the Mail Online? I might have come across it on the Mail Online of a woman in Australia who was dragged out of a coffee shop now, bear in mind, it's summertime, or late summer in Australia. And this woman is sitting outside in the open air at a coffee shop. And some police come in, five of them, and ask the woman who has been named as Rebecca. This took place in Queensland, in Australia, in a place called Hervey Bay. Hervey or Hervey Bay. At Damon's General Store, this lady was having a coffee. So these five goons then, I know I've used the word goon quite a bit today, forgive me. It's laziness, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Do you remember that? So she's she's minding her own business, having a coffee, and they come up to her and they ask to see her papers. And This lady, witnesses said this lady, politely said, I'll give you my name and my address, but my medical business is none of your business. They arrested her and they basically dragged her into a kind of a paddy wagon thing, took her to a local station and fined her $1,300. And that's in Australia in 2022. And fair play to the owner of the cafe in Damon's general store, a guy called Matt. He's properly stood up for the woman. Said he's absolutely outraged by the fact this could go on, not in his coffee shop, but that this could go on in Australia. Apoplectic, the guy. Can't get over it. Mad stuff. It's on the website if you want to see it. It's, it's kind of distressing, actually. You see this lady. She's well-dressed, well-presented. She has a shopping bag. And goons are dragging her into a van. Because when they said, Ira Papira Bitta, she said, well, no, you shouldn't do that. I'll tell you who I am, but I'm not going to give you my medical history. She was dragged away. And I know it's depressing to be t- depressing the swimming and the fencing, the press thing to be talking about this, but they're filth, aren't they? They're filth, these people. I never use that term. I, I know people, through my media career, I met policemen and women through working on the radio in Ireland, working in the UK. And I have to say, I've met some nice people in uniform and people who I thought they'd probably go a mile, those people, to help people out. That's how I feel. I always saw the, the good in people. And I never used 
the word pig and I never used the word filth to describe police. But the police who dragged that woman out of that coffee shop are filth. Filth and a pox on every one of their houses and their lives for doing that. How much is your paycheck worth to you? I'd rather be on the street, to be honest. I know you said it's easy, easy to say, Richie. Tough talk. I swear on the life of the woman I live with and love. I swear on her life. I couldn't do that. No part of me would obey that order. Go in there, there's some unjabbed people having a cup of coffee. My response is, sir or ma'am, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. No. Please, no, I'm not going to do it. These people are minding their own business. Well, we'll be disciplined. Well, I'm, 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 I'm out of a job then. I, I'll turn in my weapons, my badge and my uniform and I'll go and work in McDonald's. I'll do anything but do that. It's 11 minutes past the hour. This is Thursday's Richie Allen Show. And in a few moments, Catherine Blakelock will be on with me. Always good value. I like Catherine. This is the Mavericks and back in your arms again on the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. Back in your arms again. I've, I've probably mentioned several times over the years, but In Time by the Mavericks is one of my favourite albums ever. It's in my top ten. It's a thing of beauty. Check it out if you've got a streaming service and most people have these days. Do check it out. You'll, you'll not go wrong. It's wonderful. Hi to Bruce, who says, Richie, sadly, the Gestapo mentality is just below the surface for so many. It's not about education. The dark side of the force can have a powerful effect on the weak-minded. Bloody hell, I channeled Obi-Wan there for a second, says Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Hi to Alf. Hi to Richard. Yeah, I understand that, Richard. Thank you. Wayne says, I've heard the government are resurrecting Vlad the Impaler, but I don't know yet what role he's to be given. Perhaps overseeing the poisoning of the nation's baby, says Wayne. Vlad the Impaler, eh? Uh, Tracy McCallum has been back on. How are you doing, Tracy? She did send a link to that segment, that clip from BBC Radio Scotland and the Kay Adams show. Thanks, Tracy. It's on there somewhere on the comment lives. Hi to Tom Moore. Tom says, Richie, um, evening, he says, came back from work and my mum, who was in her late 60s, welcomed me, telling me we are going to protest, uh, which is supposedly happening on Saturday. I am not certain about these protests, but I will go with my dad and mum. It'll be quality time and a nice family outing, I am sure. Here in Slovakia, it's pure zombie land. Even today, after many attempts before, uh, my team leader sneakily asked us three remaining members of the team if we haven't changed our mind to get vaccinated. As okay as the guy is, Richie, says Tom, I can't understand how otherwise smart people can be blunt and blind to the eye-ripping evidence what this scandemic really is, says Tom. Uh, thanks, Tom. That's an excellent message, mate. And I hope you do have a good time with uh, mum and dad at the protest there at the weekend. Let's get Catherine on the programme. It's been quite a while. 
Now, you'll know Catherine because she's been on the programme before. We've talked many times over the years. Catherine is a successful businesswoman and hotelier. She founded the Brexit Party and was the party's first leader. Um, So she was, which is impressive, I think. She got in touch with me. We were in touch before Christmas, but got in touch with me the other day to let me know that she's uh, throwing her hat, to use that well-worn cliché, back into the political three-ring circus. Um, She's going to be running in Southend in a by-election there uh, on behalf of the English Democrats. Lovely to welcome back to the programme, Catherine Blakelock. How are you doing, Catherine? And Happy New Year. And to you. Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Asher, I'm hanging in there. Like everybody else, I don't... Things get stranger and scarier and creepier by the day, but we'll talk about all of that in a few minutes' time. Um, By the way, I met Robin Tilbrook along the road and he was on the programme before. Uh, A hell of a nice chap, I think. So do say hello to Robin on behalf of the programme. Why now? Why are you going to put yourself forward for this by-election in Southend? Um, because the mainstream media haven't covered it properly. And this is not, you know, the idea that this was some sort of Twitter problem, that somebody got stabbed because of social media, which is what the media ended up talking about after um, this, this poor MP was hacked to death. And by the way, I was on the BBC this morning and I was not allowed to say he was murdered. Is that right? We're talking about Sir David Amos, South End West. Okay. David was was I murdered was, in his office. Not allowed to say he'd been murdered or assassinated because it hadn't been proven. You know that he so so he somehow presumably just fell on some knives or something. I mean that was the first ridiculous thing this morning with the BBC. Um, so we had to stop while I got told what I could say. Um, but basically. You know, this for me is a direct result of unlimited and injudicious refugees and asylum seekers coming to this country. The perpetrator, who remains presumably innocent until found guilty, um, his father, as we know, was from Somalia, was high up in the government. And if any country in the world is an Islamic state, it's Somalia. And um, his father was actually like, I think, the Manchester bomber, the, the son of an Islamist. I mean, Islamists have been chucked out of various countries and the, his father fell out. So he was a well-known Islamist and he had a son who decided to kill or, you know, to to kill an MP. So Allegedly. I, I'm not the BBC now, so of course I'm not going to censor you, but the gentleman the gentleman in custody who has been named as Ali Harby Ali, he's actually pleaded not guilty to this murder. It's preposterous that the BBC would tell you you can't say that David Amos was murdered. He was murdered. Um, but um, yeah, he has, you know, he has pleaded innocent and of course he's entitled to his day in court. But you believe... Uh, Catherine, that a failure to properly scrutinise people claiming asylum in the UK has led to this. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say, how how can you know that? Well, we can't know that, obviously. Um, You know, you only have circumstantial evidence to suggest that. But 
you know, as we know, with, with many of the attacks on our soil and in other countries, it hasn't been Nepalese Buddhist people. It hasn't been Hindus. Um, it's been one particular group. Um, and and whether we take Manchester, the Manchester bombing or, um, you know, the Westminster uh, killings or this one or the beheading, um, it, they are, they've all got one thing in common and we all know what that is. And, you know, we now at this particular point have 18,000, oh, sorry, we had 18,000 illegals who were counted who came across the channel. Those are the counted ones. We know that many aren't counted and we know that probably three times that number come through trucks or on land or overstayed their visas. I just have a general problem with this. I mean, I can't arrive in any country um, illegally and just stay there. And I don't it's, I don't want to focus this just on Islam and yeah, Islamists yeah. because it's much bigger than that. I don't care whether these people are Romanians, Ethiopians, South Africans, whoever they are, what colour they are, what religion they are. I am fed up with it and I'm fed up with the costs of it. And I also want to, you know, my to stand and talk about the economic failures of this government and the complete and utter failure on so many fronts. Uh, if you allow me, I will read an article. There's an article in The Telegraph today, which was fantastic. And I'm going to read a paragraph about and it sums up really what I think and millions of people in this country think, if I may. yeah. Of course, Catherine, go ahead. Okay. So he, he writes, Boris was put in power to confront the elites, but he did nothing of the sort. His voters are seething at his broken promises, his massive tax increases, his inability to gain control of borders, his failure to tackle crime, his apparent unwillingness to leverage Brexit to truly change Britain, his lack of interest in economics, entrepreneurship and the cost of living, and his failure to prevent the woke revolutionaries from taking over every British institution and work. I think that very well sums it up. Yeah, I read that and I read that I'm subscribed to The Telegraph. Um, it does sum it up. Look, I'll agree with you. We will move away from Sir David Amos in a moment. But um, I want to acknowledge that it is, it's, it's, it's pretty Orwellian that you can't have an open discussion on television or radio today about the causes of some of the things that you talked about here, whether it be London Bridge attacks or Manchester, whether it be what happened to Sir David Amos, without people immediately being accused of xenophobia or, or bigotry. And it sounds like you got a little bit of that from the BBC this morning, did you? Well, he was terribly nice. No, he actually did make it uh, say that it was a legal point and that they didn't want to be sued. Although, of course, you know that Robin Tilbrook, who is head of the English Democrats, is a very seasoned solicitor, has yeah. done a lot of things. And didn't really, when I told him afterwards, didn't really agree with it. Um, but, you know, that's the BBC for you. So I complied and said, you know, that he died or been killed. Um, oh, wow. And I wasn't when I said he'd been murdered, even using the name of the person who supposedly murdered him. Um, he, you know, so there we are. But that's the BBC for you. But they were, they, you know, Yes, I've got. I, it's a minor point. And it is. And before we move away from David Amos, and we will after this point, what do you understand? What what I shouldn't because you can't speak for everybody in Southend, but of the people you've spoken to, 
what what is the feeling amongst people that you've met about what happened to Sir David Amos? Well, I mean, see, people are completely and utterly horrified. I mean, it, I don't think it makes much difference whether it's Joe Cox or it's David Amos. If somebody, a, a, an MP or any figure, whether it's John Lennon or JFK or various other people, anybody is assassinated in broad daylight, it's absolutely horrifying. Um, you know, the actual particular instance of this is even more horrifying. But uh, but everybody, of course, is horrified and shocked. Fair enough. Now, we I, I voted Brexit. In fact, the, mm. the only time I went to a ballot box in the last 30 years was... <laughs> Was to to go and vote um, in the in the in the Brexit referendum in 2016. There are many reasons why I haven't voted in other elections, but that, that, that those are not important now. And I voted to leave when I was based in in Ireland. Of course, I voted against Nice and I voted against the Lisbon Treaty. I know what the European Union is, and I know what it's going to become and what it wants to become. And everybody was delighted, I suppose, when we, we voted to leave. We had that protracted madness then for several years with Theresa May. And eventually Johnson said, right, we have a deal. I've got Brexit done. Now, I don't think he got proper Brexit, but we can talk about that maybe in a moment. But his, his I suppose, supporters would say that the economic situation we find ourselves in now is not entirely of his making. They will say we had a pandemic that landed right in the lap of Boris Johnson and his cabinet and his government. And there's basically sought all he could do uh, about the billions of pounds that needed to be spent on furlough, on buying medicines and vaccines and, and all the rest of it. So what do you say to that? It's not just Boris Johnson. It's 14 years of conservative problems that we are facing. I mean, I think one of the biggest economic problems we have are the fuel increases and all the electricity companies going bankrupt. And this is a conservative. You can put the, it straight in the conservatives lap. We have known for decades that we have a fuel problem. We, two years ago, three years ago, four years, something in that region, well before COVID, were, ended up with about one hour of gas during a very cold period. We have no gas storage. We've stopped, we've closed down coal power stations. We have let our North Sea and North Sea gas industry completely collapse. We have concentrated on green subsidies in a especially solar in a country which doesn't have any sun and often when it doesn't have any sun also doesn't have any wind. We have a transmission from, as we know the other day, from France where um, a substation in Ash Ashfield in Kent was burnt down and, uh, well, I mean, it, it blew up. It, it wasn't, wasn't arson, it, it blew up and we lost our major supply of electricity coming from France. We failed on every level with our energy security and including how we've structured electricity companies and then when we have you know roaring roaring prices and we could you know we know that oil is cyclical that that all commodities are cyclical um that we will have very high oil prices very high fuel prices but we've made it much worse as has the eu 
Um, so this is self-inflicted. And I think of the price rises that are happening, it's the fuel prices, especially heating, that is the big shock for everybody. I mean, people might, you know, if, if a loaf of bread goes up 10p or 20p, well, so much, so what, yeah? It goes from 1 to 120, you're not going to starve. But if your fuel bill goes from £2,000 to £4,000, uh, you may literally get hypothermia. What could he do about it? What could the UK government do about it now? Because apparently they're saying we're expecting a milder winter, Catherine. So yeah. so we're not really... Everything you've said is correct, by the way. So we're not really going to see this um, hit hard maybe until next winter. What could the government do in the meantime? I think, well, the first thing they need to do is take the VAT off fuel. Um, the second thing I would stop, um, you know, basically have a moratorium on green green energy and start and start, um, you know, opening gas fire stations or re getting them up and going again and um, secure supply. Start building gas storage facilities as fast as possible. What about coal? I'm not, I'm not obviously an energy expert. Let me put it this way: and I'm not a logistics expert, but in so many of these projects. This has been going on for decades, and again, decades with a conservative government and a civil service made of PPEs. We have no engineers as ministers. We have. Uh, I had a friend who was involved in all sorts of projects, whether it's Heathrow or it's the Thames Barrage or it's fuel engineers. There's PPEs and woke civil servants running it, and in this particular case, we've probably got Carrie, Carrie, uh, his girlfriend, his, his wife, it. his wife. What, 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 what about the fact that we have, I don't know how many, I don't know what the reserves of coal are or what the reserve is, but it's, it's massive. It's probably millions and millions of tons of coal. Um, I would say, because I, uh, I've never been convinced of the, of the, of the climate change argument, um, but that's maybe an argument for another day. I would say, um, open the pits again. Why not? Absolutely. And it, it creates employment as well. And we have a lot better technology than we did when we were having, you know, ev all technology has improved. You've got smokeless coals and things like that. Um, obviously, there's the issue of fracking. We've, we've got we've got a thousand years of energy from fracking. Um, we're not in an earthquake zone, but, you know, the green people are absolutely up in arms about it. Nuclear, there's plenty of options. And including, you know, we've got 83 dollar a barrel oil we could end up with 200 dollars a barrel oil it's not impossible it's quite easy to happen lumber went up a hundred percent um you know we've had things go up we've seen things in when commodities really go up they go up at extraordinary amounts and of course you know you've got the same issues which are happening all over Europe and you've got the supply issue and the geopolitical issue with Russia and you've got the same problems in the States with the green lobby and closing down of fracking and or, and no exploration money going into oil. So, you know, the, the oil price could just explode and if we've got these problems at 84, can you imagine what we're going to have if we get to 200? Absolutely. And I don't have any sympathy with the green lobby. I've made my feelings clear on climate change theory. I don't believe it. I don't believe there's any evidence to support it. And I'm convinced of that. And I am an educated person, as you are. However, I do have, uh, I do have some common ground with them on fracking. I've never been convinced of the safety of fracking. 
uh, personally. Um, but, but again, we could we could talk about that another day in the future. Uh, I just want I just want to say that in case my listeners are screaming at me, I'm not I'm not okay. a fan of fracking at all. Some of some of the other issues, yeah. okay, about inflation and and lockdowns and supply chains, and the states has got the same issues as well. Let's talk um, about lockdowns we, then. Let's talk about the. Let's talk about this. So can I just talk about the final on the the inflation front? I mean, we've printed billions. We gave out all these COVID loans. God knows how many disappeared. I mean, I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but you must remember the reports about, you know, 50 billion has disappeared. Yes, in in fraud. In fraud. You're absolutely right. Billions has gone, has been wiped off in fraud. Yes. And then you were giving other people grants, effectively money to not work. Self-employed people were getting money to not work. Holiday home people were given 10000 per holiday house. Do you know that? I didn't know that. Strings attached. Just you get the money, the check. And it doesn't matter whether you let it or you didn't let it. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. Just pile out money and then raise taxes afterwards. Um, it's, it, I mean, you could tell what was going to happen. And then if you pay people not to work, I mean, there's in the States, they've got the great resignation. Four and a half million people have given up their jobs. We've probably got the same issue here. And of course, then there will be the scream, well, we haven't got any waiting staff, so we need mass migration again. Catherine, have you got some paper in your hand there? Will, no. you, will you forgive me for asking? I'm hearing a bit of rustling there, and it's just a little bit distracting because I'm absolutely gripped by what you're saying. Um, because this is something. <laughs> no worries. I, I'm the same when I get animated. I move things around. No, be, no, because this this is hugely important. The money will have to be paid back. Let me ask you this: uh, a number of economists have told me, and these are good good people. They know their their onions that whether we like it or not, a financial collapse is inevitable. Do you feel that? Well, it depends what you I don't like the word financial collapse because often you have some things going up and some things going down. Um if you're talking about stagflation, um I'm not sure that's actually what we've got at the moment. We've we're clearly going to have pensions crises. We're going to have fuel crises. We the question is going to be how bad does inflation get? Uh, because in it, this inflation is also because there's a lot of money and a lot of bubbling going on in the economy. So, you know, I am not clear about what we mean by by collapse. I mean, we can have a situation, for example, where where um, things you know people need, like fuel and bread, go up and other assets go down. Um, but I see this more as a more as a sort of inflationary structural issue rather than a total collapse. Even and, though, and, you, and, so, so. and you can actually, I, I think it's perhaps likely that we continue with what we've had before, which is continuing rising asset prices, so that houses go up, 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 up. You have to realise that in Zimbabwe and uh, in in Zimbabwe, a little bit in the Weimar Republic, but we're not anywhere near those sort of inflation rates, but assets went up. They didn't go, they don't go down in inflation. But what happens is inflation causes terrible disruption between certain groups. As we've seen earlier, anybody who owned a house was fine. Anybody who didn't was basically stuffed. 
yeah. or lived in the north of England and with very cheap housing. I mean, even they got a house. But um, so, you know, one of the problems is money printing done is, is continually create a massive inequality. Um, and until you get this money printing under control, then you're not going to get inequality and you're not going to stop the housing problem. The, I mean, look what happened in COVID. You would have assumed that in a financial squeeze like that, house prices would collapse. No, they went up even further by like 15, 20, 30 percent in some places. That was understandable because house building has basically slowed to a crawl in recent years. And you know, as a successful businesswoman, and I'm not blowing smoke at you, you know that the less of something there is, ultimately the more expensive it becomes no matter what else goes on in the economy. I'll tell you what my economists were telling me. They're saying, Richie, that eventually the, the financial institutions that capitalise the banks are going to stop. And banks are going to collapse. People's pensions are going to collapse. They're they're telling me this that the, the, yeah, the I, think, 2000... I think that's true. I, I agree with you. On and that people point. will lose their money. But... People will lose their savings. And ultimately, they point to something that the central bank has said here, and that is that it's planning to introduce a centralized digital currency, a digital currency, and and move to a kind of a cashless society, as evidence that you know banks and financial institutions and those who make the decisions, they know that a major financial collapse is coming. Uh, I, think that, I think it's much worse than a financial collapse. Digitisation and getting rid of cash is just so that you've got total social control. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's what worries me more than the collapse. I mean, yeah. you know, you won't be able to get an, a, buy a train ticket because you haven't been vaccinated or because you um, supported a party that the government didn't like what they said. Yes. You know, you were transphobic or you were, you know, didn't like immigration or asylum seekers or something. And so you, uh, which we see already in China. So you have, you get, you know, basically they have complete control to stop your bank account and then you are absolutely completely stuffed basically that's right i agree with you 100 that's why the digital currency is coming in listeners are are, are, are commenting on my website richieallen.co.uk and they're fascinated a number of them have asked before i mention it let me remind you who you're listening to uh, we've got catherine blakelock on the program now catherine is standing in south end west in the forthcoming by-election there sir david amos mp was murdered in his constituency office late last year, um, tragically and sadly. And that's why there's the by-election there. And Catherine is running for the English Democrats, running on a number of issues, as she's been uh, eloquently uh, describing and talking about those issues in the last 15, 20 minutes. Check her out. Um, uh, check out the English Democrats. If you want, I'll put um, the information online later on, the website stuff, um, and you can go on there. You've heard Robin Tilbrook on this programme in the past they've been on to me to ask me how much of what's happening do you believe is is bad policies by idiot policy makers and how much of it is by design because when you see people like uh, or organizations like the world economic forum and guys like klaus schwab basically yeah. basically make blatantly saying to people in the future, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Now, I don't um, think for a minute that COVID-19 doesn't exist. I don't have much time for that nonsense. I, I, I like you know, to listen to people, but at the same time, I, I believe it exists. But how much of it has been taken advantage by people, Catherine, who want to reset the world in the way they want to do it? 
um, which is which is ultimately authoritarianism. What do you think? Absolutely, quite clearly. But the the issue really is that that Boris Johnson is laps it all up, and Boris Johnson is heavily influenced by Carrie, who um, is you know effectively a Green Liberal Democrat, and and we go back to the same problem that we. We we could be free of this World Economic Forum stuff if we had a strong government, if we had, uh, you know, if we, if we had a, a Mrs. Thatcher type figure. And that is my concern about both the candidates to replace Boris. I don't not sure they're going to be much better. And I'm talking about Richie, um, Richie, Richie Sunak, Richie yes, Sunak and, yeah. and Liz Truss. I mean, let's take take uh, you know an issue like the border borders and the border force. I mean, I don't know if you and I know I, I agree with the general principle that most people and most governments, with the exception of say Orban in Hungary and uh, the guy in the Philippines and one or two other people, are following this. Uh, following exactly the line, and they just they want to, you know, and Boris wants to be part of the big club. And liked and do what everybody wants him to do, which uh, is to, to design this, but and to stand up against this, which is what Brexit was supposed to be about. You need a different type of leader, and I'm not convinced that Rishi or Liz Truss are, are that person. For example, let's take the border force. I don't know if you heard um, the one of the outgoing border force chiefs at a dinner said, "Well, really, our pro- our job as a border force is not really to protect borders." Did you hear that? I did not. No. Well, effectively, that's a sort of paraphrasing it, but it was the most extraordinary thing. I mean, what do you think borders are for? And what did he say? Force? What did he say? His his job was then in if um, it was. I, I, oh, I don't know. It's probably to chaperone refugees in. You know, uh, I don't know. But the point is this, is that, you know, um, Pretty Patel does a lot of talking and hasn't managed to achieve anything much. Um, But she, you know, said, oh, she wants the border force to turn boats around and and they refuse. And so, I mean, if you've got the border force, you're you are going to have to have a leader who's going to do a Margaret Thatcher with what she did with the coal mines and what Ronald Reagan did with the air traffic controllers. Do you remember when the air traffic controllers went on strike in the States? Yes, in the States, yeah. I've often spoken to Paul Craig Roberts about this on this programme, yeah. He fired a lot of them. And basically, I think that you're going to have to have somebody who's going to stand up to the Border Force Union and say, fine. But you know, you're you're talking to a trade unionist. So I don't have any, I don't I am I mean I've I've told you this over the yeah, years. The point is that you you know they've got to do the job that they're supposed to be doing, and their uh, their job is to protect our borders. It's not to be a, you know some sort of woke taxi chaperoning thing, and 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 you know you're going to have to bring in the army to do it. it, it it's a, it's absolutely critical function of a secure. Country. We're, to we're, we're, in, the we're in trouble, though. By the way, as a trade unionist, I didn't agree with what Reagan did, but I'm not going to argue with you about that because we have a lot of common ground. But look, when, when we start bringing the army in, like they're bringing army personnel to the northwest where I am and the northeast yeah. to, to talk to people about why, sh- why they should have their jabs, I start to panic, Catherine, when they start well, yeah, handing so out I jobs see, to the army, I, right? I mean, I agree, but how else are you going to? get I mean the problem is we've had 
had uh, you know the great march through the institutions um we we have had common purpose take over every institution That's right. every institution from the lifeboats to the national trust is full of left wing marxists and liberal democrats who um hate the conservatives they hate populists even more um you know and they i i don't you know the the, the whole agenda i do and, and thank you by the way excuse me thank you for not calling these people socialists because they are not socialists these no, these social not. democrats they are not um, i'm an old socialist and I never met I never met a socialist who thought it was a good idea to open borders and allow a migrant workforce compete with um, with with um, indigenous people for a scarcity of jobs. I never met a socialist who thought it was okay to allow a man identify as a woman and end up in a women's prison. Uh, no socialist ever believed or bought into any of these policies that we've been talking about. So you can hate socialists and socialism. I don't mean you now because I don't believe you hate anybody. But well, um, people should educate mean, themselves. Here's Corbyn, um, who you might think is nutty on vax, but on the vaccines. But he is an old school, working class, trade unionist, um, I like workers' man's club. And he believes, I mean, you know, he's a climatologist and he thinks climate change is is nonsense. just absolute nonsense, that the entire theory is the wrong way around. I mean, the theory is based on the idea that man, man in, in, increases carbon dioxide, which causes heating. Whereas he say, previous sun caused increases in carbon dioxide. And, you know, it's, it's, you can't prove which theory is right. You can't prove whether the sun increased the carbon dioxide or whether man increased the carbon dioxide. Yeah. But, you know, but he, he doesn't believe in climate change. He spent his whole life in climatology. Thinks, and he thinks it's a plot to destroy, as your, some of your listeners said, to destroy Western heavy manufacturing. And so the irony is, of course, you know that there are people in the Brexit group and people who are from the left and the right who are total agreement about this. How serious, um, um, sorry to, to, to cut across you because we've probably got about six or seven minutes left and yeah. uh, I, I, let me give another very quick mention Catherine Blakelock is on the programme the founder and first leader of the Brexit party, back in politics with the English Democrats, standing in South End West, the seat that was previously held by Sir David Amos who was murdered in his constituency office um, well, Can I just talk to you a little bit about that constituency and the Conservative Party candidate, yeah? Yeah, he's not. he or she isn't here to defend themselves, but go on, I'll be the devil's advocate. No, well, it's a she, um, 40 years old-ish, pretty woman, a barrister, I believe, from, uh, from Sevenoaks, okay? One of the richest areas in the entire country. And You're not short I, of a bob yourself now, Catherine? <laughs> well, I had a quick look at what she had said, and there was heavy competition for this seat. I think they had 100 applicants. She talked to one of the newspapers and there were a couple of articles, and the only thing she talked about was how wonderful it was that Southend was going to get city status. This is where you've had the MP killed. You've got Somali knife crimes, uh, Somali knife gangs. You've got, you know, rising cry, the COVID issues, the inflation issues, the ambulance, the NHS, uh, every other issue you could talk about. And that was what her um, discussion with the local paper was. And can you, will you get a chance to have 
a, a, a pop actor, and by pop, I mean, of course, a robust discussion. Hustings, no, no? I don't think there's going to be any hustings whatsoever. And the Conservatives have put it on a short timetable, which means that it's only three weeks. Um, so, you know, they Is it three weeks from today, Catherine? No, three weeks from three weeks from what the date they gave excuse me yeah i'm with you three days to put the papers in and three weeks from the date the papers closed which was tuesday so it's just a rush timetable to get it out of the way i mean the, the interesting thing of course is what happened to um owen patterson's seat when the liberal democrats took a brexit seat yeah yes of course so you know but anyway we, we will see. It's a massive but, uh, machine to go up against, isn't it? I mean, you're going up against the Tory party with all of that money. I mean, you're up against it there. Yeah, but the only thing is that people are fed up and by-elections don't really mean much, you know. And the only hope I have is that there is a sort of none of the above, which there isn't much of the above. Um, and they And some people might vote for something else. So, you know, yeah. the SDP got their breakthrough on a by-election and went from strength to strength on it. I mean, you know, stranger things have happened, particularly in a, in a time of particular um, political uncertainty and volatility. You're, no, you're right. Absolutely. Um, it, it ain't over till it's over. And why, why not have a go there? Um, Sajid Javid said today that unjabbed people owe their freedoms to those who came forward to be jabbed and that we, because I haven't had a jab, are standing on the shoulders of the jabbed. They're mandating it for NHS workers. Obviously, they want to do that. And by by February 3rd, if you're unjabbed in the NHS and you haven't had it, um, well, you're, 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 you're basically screwed, not to put too fine a point on it. That's going to cause chaos in the NHS in the spring, isn't it? Absolute chaos. I'll tell you a funny story from the States. I can't remember which, where it was, but they did the same thing with uh, their medical workers in Boston or something. And they were so short of medical staff that they had to bring in medical staff with COVID, positive for COVID, to cope with it. <laughs> laughable. Did you get that? Yeah, laughable, yeah. I mean, absolutely laughable. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, well, if this vaccine worked so well, we wouldn't be on the third and fourth and fifth, would we? No. And is that another thing to do with social crediting, do you think, in the future? Take the state-sponsored medicine that we, that we uh, offer you, or if you don't, well, you don't get to travel this year, or you don't get to drive, or whatever. Are we really looking at this sort of authoritarianism, totalitarianism? Is that what's coming down the line? Well, I think that's coming down to the line through technology, as we said through just this technological change. I mean, this conversation's probably being recorded in other places, you know, technological change, um, bank accounts, money, um, listening devices, you know, recognition, voice recognition, iris recognition. Um, So, yeah, very easy to get a police state in those circumstances and very, very difficult to get out of it. Well, just look at what's going on in Australia. Um, Yeah, and Australia was the last place you'd assume that it ha- would happen because you know Australia's always been sort of the land, a bit of like the sort of land of the free, you know, out back and you know, pretty gung ho. Yeah, place. It's yeah. completely changed. That's a fantastic point. I would have never imagined that they would have capitulated the people there in the way they have. Good luck in um, in in South End West. When when is the uh, election? What's the date? It's on the third of February. 
It's not far away then. February 3rd. Catherine Blakelock standing for the English Democrats in the seat uh, previously occupied by Sir David Amos. Well, Catherine, good luck. And um, look, we'll talk afterwards, no matter what happens. We'll have a chat anyway. It's always nice to speak to you. Lovely. And to you and to your listeners. Thank you very much. And good night to everybody. Thank you. Good night to you too, Catherine. Bye for now. That was Catherine Blakelock there, the founder of the Brexit Party, former leader of that party, as I said, standing in South End West for the English Democrats. February 3rd, if you're in that nick of the woods. Hey, listen, a number of you have come on to say on the website, uh, just to remind me that you don't believe that COVID ever exists. And I respect that, by the way. I don't think you're an idiot. I don't think you're mad. Did I say that? Because I, I, don't, I don't mean that. We disagree. What, 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 I've, what, what I have to say again is, you see, I'm somebody who has had a number of very, very, very bad illnesses throughout my life. Strangely enough, I've never been a smoker. I've never even tried smoking. I've always been tall and fairly thin, apart from a couple of times during, my, during, during our Spain days, when I became, you know, quite heavier than, than, than I was. I eventually rectified that through getting back into sports and, and running. But I've never, never taken any drugs. I haven't, honestly. As I said, never smoked. But over the years, on, on three occasions, I, I had pneumonia when I was 15. I spent weeks in a... Trying to remember the name of the unit in Waterford Regional Hospital. Remember, I was under a Dr. Fitzgerald, who was the, I don't know, the, the heart and lungs guy, the chest guy. That was horrendous, and I nearly passed away. It was very, very bad. I was in third year or second year, so maybe I was 14. I think I was 14. It was around about the time of the Hillsborough tragedy, and other times over the years. And I fear it, you know, because when you've had it, it's something to fear. It's a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful existence. And there was a time, it happened to me again when we, when we lived in Spain, believe it or not, amazingly. And I wanted to die when it happened to me in Spain. And the, you know, the, 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 the mucus and the liquid on your lungs, the, the, the pains when you breathe and when you cough, it's absolute death. It's horrendous stuff. And, uh, but eventually you do, you know, you take antibiotics and, Eventually, you began to shift that stuff off of your lungs. But in January 2020, and I think it's still online, I, I made a video. It was funny. I didn't mean to do it. I made a video to say I was unwell and that I was going to be off the air for a few days. Many of you were horrified by the video. You remember it, maybe. It would have been on Facebook, might have been on YouTube. I was in a desperate, desperate state. And the reason I think Something exists, whether you call it COVID-19 or, or whether you call it flu on steroids. I sat up in bed here in, in Salford and I said to my better half, and I'm no fan of melodrama, I'm no hypochondriac, and I'm no man flu sufferer. She, if she was here, she'd tell you, I'm somebody who deals with illness and pain fairly stoically. I keep my mouth shut and I just try and get on with it. I said to her, I think I'm going to die. Because I couldn't breathe. And I had no mucus or sputum or whatever you want to call it on my chest or lungs. I believe I had a type of altitude sickness. It was horrendous. And I had pains with it. Couldn't figure it out. And when I eventually did get to see a doctor, and I don't, I don't have much time, 
for, for the NHS doctors in these surgeries. They were absolutely perplexed. So I can't tell you you're wrong when you say that COVID-19 doesn't exist because I don't know that. And I genuinely respect you. You're right to have your opinion and I'll always read it out. I won't say you're an idiot. But I just don't agree with you. Something was going around, the likes of which I'd never experienced. And I pretty much had everything over the years, you know. I'm still perplexed as to what it was, but it scared the absolute piss out of me. And I don't scare easily. And steroids were a help for a while, but not all the time. And it was only my experience previously of having severe breathing difficulties that allowed me to remain fairly calm. Because if I had been new to it, I think I would have died. I don't think they would have reached me in time. And that's no exaggeration. That was January 2020. All in all, I was off the show for three weeks. I lost, and I didn't need to lose it. I lost a stone and three quarters at the time. I've put most of that back on. But I was a skeleton, absolute skeleton. And I, I don't know what that was. So I work on the basis that there was some pathogen going around and that maybe I caught it. But that's not to say I know more than you do. That was my experience of it. And I prayed to to God, to Allah. I, I'll even pray to Abba that I don't ever experience that again. Stockpiling the steroids just in case, but anyway. Thanks to Catherine Blakelock. Thank you for listening this week. It's been good to be back this week. I'll be, I'll be with you on Sunday morning. I know that for many of you, you're not interested in music programmes. For those of you who are, uh, Sunday morning melodies at 10 o'clock, uh, 10 to midday UK time. You can only listen through richieallen.co.uk or the TuneIn app. Until then, look after yourselves and one another and do have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Bye now.